Merry Christmas. Are you ready? Those of you watching on television, Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us today. I hope everybody's got all your shopping done, your presents are wrapped and under the tree. One of the gifts I'm giving mom this year is this. It's a photo book. My father's been dead 27 years, and this is a pictorial history of their life together and and uh, my father's family going back to his great-grandfather. And you know, it's like a lot of families. You have all these photographs and shoe boxes and drawers and some photo albums. You know what I'm talking about? So I collected those, scanned them, and prepared this book for her. She doesn't, so don't, nobody call her. She doesn't know she's getting this, but this is part of my Christmas gift to mom this year. She's 77 years old. And uh, I know she's going to cry, and that always makes it a good gift. You know, the thing that makes a gift meaningful is that, that it, it's given and received in love, that it, it's something that somebody needs or really wants or says to them, you matter. You, you're worth. You, you're valuable to me. Christmas, we celebrate God's gift to you, to me, to all of us. God's saying, I love you and you're worth something. You're valuable to me. I mean, John 3.16, God so, what, loved the world, and that includes you, that he did what? Gave. So giving, giving is associated with God. The heart of God is, is, is a big part of Christmas. God gave that best gift he could give to say, I care about you. You, you matter. You're of great value. So here's the question I want to ask us this morning. What are you, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? I mean, I have my present for mom. What am I going to give Jesus this Christmas? What are, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? I mean, giving is part of Christmases, not only to family, but God giving to us. You remember when Jesus was born? If you, if you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2, we were just singing about it. The wise men visited Jesus, and they brought him gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. They presented gifts to Jesus. So again, I ask that question, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? Now, perhaps you've not even thought about that. I want you to think about that. I want you to spend some time thinking hard about what you're giving Jesus for Christmas. I mean, some of you have spent money, you've gone to multiple stores, you've spent a lot of time finding gifts for other people. So again, I ask, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas. Matthew chapter 2, we find the story starting at verse 1 if you'll follow with me. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Guys, you're the religious leaders. What does the Old Testament say about the coming of the Messiah? Where will he be born? And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been, has been written by the prophets. This is what the Old Testament says. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and said 
and, and determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And hearing this, and hearing the king, after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. When was the last time you got on your knees before Jesus? When, when was the last time you fell flat on the floor, face down, in submission to Jesus Christ, in, in pleading with Christ and pouring out your heart and in, in, in humbly saying, you're my Lord? When was the last time you were on your face before Jesus? A wise men fall to the ground, it says. And um, they worshipped. They worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, Magi left for their own country by another way. They brought to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And again, I ask you, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? They gave him gold. Because that's a gift of value you give to a king. And also because Jesus was going to grow up and live a pure, sinless life. They gave him frankincense and incense that was used in worship because he's God and worthy of worship. They gave him myrrh, an ointment that was used to prepare a body for burial. The Egyptians would use it when they prepared mummies, uh, embalmed people for burial. And again, I ask, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? Now, whatever you give him, whatever you choose today or any time this week to give Jesus for Christmas, you have to give it the right way. You have to give it like the wise men gave their gifts to Jesus. They, they, they presented their gifts themselves. These were wealthy men who could have sent their gifts by others, but they didn't do that. They showed up. And they presented these gifts that represented what they understood Jesus to be and whatever you give Jesus has to come from you it has to be from you it can't be from your ancestors it can't be from the church it has to be from you from your heart from your life it has to be real and personal and meaningful it has to be you and again I ask what are you giving Jesus this Christmas whatever you whatever you give him you have to give it the right way not only do you have to present it personally but you have to present it in the, the proper way because when they came into the house and saw Jesus what did they do they fell to the ground and they worshipped him it was an act of worship an act of homage an act of adoration and praise and, and whatever you give Jesus has to come from your heart and it has to be out of worship and out of love and out of praise out of submission out of homage to him and again I ask what are you giving Jesus this Christmas what I want to do is look at some Bible verses that will help us understand what Jesus would like for us to give him. How many of you told somebody this year what you wanted for Christmas? You told your parents? You told your spouse? How many of you had someone tell you what they wanted for Christmas? Well, in the Bible, God tells us what he wants from us for Christmas. 
as disciples, as followers of Jesus. So I want us to look at a few verses and, 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 and think about what God wants from us. And the first thing is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when God says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable or well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship or your reasonable act of service, some Bibles translated, and I think some say something like true and, and right worship or true and proper worship. God's saying, I'm, I'm encouraging you to give to Jesus at Christmas yourself. And your motivation is all the love God has demonstrated for you in life. The many expressions of God's mercy, and the greatest of those is what we're celebrating giving his son. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He said, I've given you so many expressions of my love. When I forgive you, that's love. When I help you, that's love. When I hear your prayers, that's love. When I come into your life, that's love. When I'm interested in you, that's love. God said, there's all these expressions of love. When I, when I give you a home in heaven, when I give you everlasting life, that's love. When I make you a new person and give you a new life, that's love. Because I've loved you so much in, in so many ways, love me. Present your body, and your body means all of you. Everything that encompasses who you are as a human being, present your body, Christian, God says, as a living and holy sacrifice. And the word present there in the New Testament language is the technical word for when a Jew would bring an offering to the altar and present it to God. He's saying in a similar fashion, you are to bring your body, your life, and everything that is associated with who you are in this planet, in this time of existence, and present it as an offering. But he says as a living and holy sacrifice. Living means while you're alive. Because when the Jews would bring their sacrifices, they would, they would slaughter the animal and then offer it on the altar where it would be burned, consumed in fire. And so the animal was dead. God says, what I'm asking of you is that you present yourself while living. That you be a living sacrifice. That your life be an offering of love and obedience and worship and service to me. And when he says holy... It's because in the Old Testament when a Jew brought an offering to the altar, it had to be a holy one, meaning that it belonged to God, was set apart and dedicated to God, but also it was a good offering. It was the best offering. It was without blemish. For instance, if an animal was blind, it could not be offered. If it was lame, it could not be offered. If it was deformed in any way, it could not be offered. It had to be a healthy, whole, good offering. It had to be your best And God says, I want you to bring your life to me as an offering. That's the gift I want from you. And I, and, I, and I want you to allow me to work in your life to clean it up, to fix it up. Don't give me the worst of your life only. Give me the best of your life. Give me all of your life as a living and holy sacrifice. And he says, that's acceptable. That's well-pleasing to God. And then the last phrase, which is often misunderstood, which is your reasonable service of worship. Now, if you look at different English translations, you'll see that last phrase translated different ways. 
because in the original language, that's a hard phrase to translate. New American Standard says your spiritual your spiritual service of worship, the NIV, true and proper worship, the King James, reasonable service. Why all that variance in how it's translated from Greek to English? Because those two words are hard to translate into English because we really don't have English words that capture them. The word that is translated worship or service means both. You see, the, the, the biblical teaching corrects a misunderstanding that a lot of us have because a lot of us think we're going to worship. You ever said that? You ever heard anybody say that? We're going to the worship. We're going to the worship service. And we we think of worship as what happens in this room and, and worship does happen in this room. But if that's your understanding of worship it's an incomplete and inaccurate and unbiblical understanding of worship. Because worship happens in here but worship happens out there as well. The biblical definition of worship is that your whole life is an act of worship. That what you do outside the walls of this church building is worship just as much as what you do in this room. And the truth is the quality of your worship in this place in the eyes of God is determined by the quality of your living for Him out there. That our whole service, our whole action, what we do at home, what we do at work, what we do in the neighborhood, what we do in the car, what we do when we're alone, what we do with other people is worship. And the quality of worship outside these walls shapes the quality of worship in the eyes of God inside these walls. That's worship. That's why he says when you worship, you, it grows out of a response to God's love that says, I'm taking my life and it's being a living and holy sacrifice to you. That's my worship gift to you, God. And when you do that and get to hear them, worship is easy. But reasonable or proper or right is the, is, is the Greek word for reason. But here's the problem. You see, in English, when we hear the word reason, we think what? Logical. Makes sense justifiable and the opposite of reasonable in our English language is what unreasonable the opposite of rational is irrational it's illogical but that's not what that word in in the Greek language of the New Testament means the reason of the New Testament your mind is not contrasted with what is irrational unreasonable illogical it happens in your mind your thinking your decision-making your head What it's contrasted with in the Greek language is not illogic, irrational. What it's contrasted with is what is external, what is physical, what is tangible because the reason is on the inside of you. And the Old Testament prophets would often refer to this when they tell us that God would often grow weary of Jews who would come to the the place of worship and present their sacrifices outward, external ritual. But their heart was far from God. This religious ritual that took place at the place of worship was incongruous with the inside, with their mind and their heart. There was an inconsistency. And that inconsistency in their heart showed up in their lifestyle outside, away from the place of worship. And what God is saying is I want from you your life, your body, all of you as a living sacrifice, holy without blemish, living as a godly person, as a growing obedient disciple 
because that pleases me. And when you do that, that is your worship, your service, your lifestyle. That is your gift to me, your homage to me. And what you're doing outwardly is congruent with, lines up with, is in agreement with the inner you, with your mind, with your reason, with your decision-making, that the inside needs to match the outside, and all of those then make the ritual of worship worth something. For without that congruence between the inner you and your lifestyle out there, worship isn't worth much. Ritual alone does not please God. But ritual that matches a life and a mind and a heart puts a big smile on God's face and he says, that's what I want from you. That's what I want from you. So again, I ask, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? Real quickly, another passage I often use in funerals. Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come, for I fought the good fight. I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. I present your life as a living offering. Paul says, my life is a drink offering. We usually think of offerings as the burnt offerings because that was the more common one where an animal would be slaughtered and then burned on the altar. But they also had drink offerings where they would come to the altar with a container of wine and as an act of worship, they would pour that, that wine out on the altar. I have, a, I have some water. And it's good for more than quenching thirst. But imagine this was a drink offering. And you walk up to the offering, to the altar, and you pour it out as a drink offering. You, I was pouring out a cup of wine. And the more you pour out, eventually what happens? The bottle will be empty. Paul says, that's my life. He said, I've given my life as an offering to God and it's being poured out as a drink offering. With every passing day, every passing year, more and more of it's being poured out. And Paul was near the end of his life. Death was close at hand and he knew there wasn't much left in that bottle. Your life is being poured out as an offering today whether you know it or not, whether you're intentional about it or not. You, you are pouring out your bottle. And here's the thing. Your bottle has less in it today than it did yesterday. Has less in it today than it did a year ago. Some of you, your bottle is up here like mine. This is about 85% full. Some of you, your bottle's way down here. But each and every one of us is being poured out. The truth is, none of us know how much is still in this bottle, do we? It's being poured out every day. You are pouring out your life as an offering every day, whether you know it or not, you intend to or not, it's being poured out. The question is, what are you pouring it out on? What are you pouring your life onto? What, what are you giving yourself as an offering to? Some of you are offering your life, your days, your life, to money, to sex, to drugs, to booze, to laziness, to a career, to indifference, to selfishness. What are, you, what are you pouring your life out on? Some of you are pouring your whole life out on yourself. So some of you, please hear my heart in this, some of you are pouring your life out on your kids and nothing else. 
And again, I ask that question, what are you giving Jesus for Christmas? Paul said, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. And because of that, I'm, I'm going to finish this life as a Christian well. See, what you pour your life onto determines what your life is and how pleasing it is to God. Another verse, Jesus, Jesus gives it in very explains it in very practical terms when he says, Love the Lord your God with what? All. All. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your heart and affections, those things you care about. There's to be no affection in your life that is stronger than your affection for Jesus Christ. With, with all your soul, your whole being, even willing to suffer, willing to sacrifice to the point of death if necessary. With your mind, your intellect, your learning, are you willing to learn Scripture? Are you willing to learn how to share the Gospel? Are you engaging your mind in honoring Christ? Are you giving your intellect to study as a gift to God? Your strength, your energy, your work, your, your effort, what effort are you putting into being a Christian becoming a mature Christian and growing and serving and, and, and worshiping as a holy, a holy follower of Christ. There was a little girl in church and really listened to the preacher. She, she loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. She was listening to his sermon on God's love at Christmas and how he sent Jesus into this world because he loved us and to die on the cross for us. And she loved Jesus and wanted to give to Jesus, but she didn't know how. And and when it was time for the offering, she didn't have any money. When the usher reached her row, he, she, she whispered up to him, would you please lower the, lower the offering plate? And, and he did. Then she, she whispered a second time, lower it more, and he did. And, and she whispered a third time, lower it more, and, and he did. And, and eventually it was down on the floor. And a little girl got up and stood in it. See, that's what God wants. He wants you. He wants you. See, the, the other stuff comes with you. He's got you. He's got everything. If he doesn't have everything, it's because he doesn't have all of you. You've not put all of you. You may have one foot in the offering plate and the other out in the aisle. One foot in following Jesus and the other out in, out in the world. One, one, one foot in the offering plate and the other in selfishness and whatever you want. Have you put your whole being as a living and holy sacrifice in that offering plate? One day, Jesus was asked if it was okay for the Jews to pay taxes to the Romans. They were conquered people. They were forced to pay taxes. They didn't like it. So they asked, Jesus, is it okay? Is it right for us to pay taxes or can we rebel? You know, can we pay taxes? What are we supposed to do here? And Jesus said, bring me a coin. They gave him a coin. He looked at it. He said, whose inscriptions on this coin? On the screen is a picture of an American quarter. Whose inscription, whose image is on an American quarter? President Washington, George Washington. Jesus looked at it. He said, all right, tell me, whose image is on this coin? Whose inscription? And they said, Caesar. Jesus replied, then give to, render to Caesar those things that are his that belong to him and give to, render to God those things that are his that belong to God. He was saying God's image is stamped all over you. 
Each and every human being on this planet is created in the image of God. Give to the government what belongs to the government, but give to God what belongs to God. God created us in His image. His image is stamped on all of us. And brothers and sisters, if you are saved, if you've been washed by the blood of Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are twice stamped because not only are you created in the image of God, but the Holy Spirit who lives within you is God's seal, God's stamp up on you that you are His. And so Jesus said, give to the government what belongs to the government, but give to God what belongs to God. And again, I ask the question, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? There there was a farmer who wanted to buy some property adjacent to his. The owner was an absentee owner. He rented the farm out, had done that for years, and therefore it wasn't taken care of very well. People dumped trash on it. It was overgrown, but he wanted to buy it. He saw potential in it. So he entered negotiations with the owner. They agreed on a price. The owner said, okay, I'll sell it to you, but there's a condition. You you can can own it. We'll do the deal, close the deal, give you the deed, but you can't possess and do anything with the land until the end of the year because I've got it leased. And you can't do anything with it. You can't possess it, change it, do anything, even though you own it until that lease is up at the end of the year. That was agreeable, so they closed the deal. He bought the farm, and for the months that he didn't possess it, even though he owned it and had the deed, he would he walked that property. And he would see all the things he wanted to clean up and the things he needed to fix. He, he, he looked and he saw things that he could do with the property, how he could make his farm better, how he, could, how he could improve the property. He saw potential. He saw all these things he wanted to do. And when the first of the year came and the lease was up and he had total possession of the property, he started about fixing it the way he knew but until he had possession of it, he couldn't do anything. Some of you are saying, God, I know you own me, but you don't possess me. God looks at you and God says, I see things you don't see. I see potential you don't see. I I see all those things I want to fix and clean up and make better. All all those things I want to do in your life. I I, I have plans and I I have ideas and dreams and plans for your life that surpass anything you, you could come up with on your own. I can do things with that land you can't do. And as long as we hold on to our lives and we don't step into that offering plate as a living and holy sacrifice, we are robbing ourselves of the beautiful potential that God knows exists within us that His hand can create if we simply let go of our lives and let Him have it. But because we want to possess ourselves, we prevent God from doing that great work that He has planned for us. First Corinthians six twenty, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Is Jesus 
Lord of your life. Do, do, do you know that Jesus is called Lord in the New Testament more than 700 times? Is Jesus Lord of your life? If you stepped into that offering plate, again I ask, what are you giving Jesus this Christmas? I want to end where I started. The wise men bringing these gifts to Jesus. What? Gold, frankincense, and what was the last one? Myrrh. An ointment used to prepare a body for burial. Egyptians used it in embalming. Myrrh comes from, it has its roots in the, in the, in the Hebrew word mara, which means bitter, bitterness. When the Jews followed Moses out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea for days, they didn't have water. When they finally, finally came to a place of water, they couldn't drink it because the water was bitter and that place was called Mara, myrrh, bitter, bitterness. It comes from an ugly tree. Don't you think that's an ugly tree? It is. It's an ugly tree. And bitterness is ugly. When Jesus was born, they presented the gift of myrrh pointing to his eventual death for us. And the Gospel of John tells us that when Jesus died on the cross and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to take his body down, they had with them myrrh to prepare his body for burial. Jesus' life ended in bitterness and pain on the cross. That's what we're going to remember in just a moment with this Lord's Supper. Jesus himself said, I came to give my life as a ransom for you. It's a love gift. And again I ask, in response to his mercy and his love, what are you going to give Jesus this Christmas? Jesus' bitterness means for those of us who step into that offering plate, His bitterness for us means joy. His death for us means life. His suffering for us means our hearts and our wounds can be healed. His grave means for us a home in heaven. And again I ask, what are you going to give Jesus this Christmas? Some of you have never given Jesus your life. You've never received this forgiveness, this salvation. When we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you. I'm asking you to, to say, Pastor, I want to become a Christian. I want to become a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come to the front and commit your life to Christ. And we'll lead you in a prayer of commitment. We'll answer your questions. We'll help you with that decision. But you need to make the decision to give your life to Jesus. There are many people in this room who sometime in the past made that decision but since you did it, you've been trying to step out of that offering plate. You, you've been trying to live with your life, with your feet in both worlds. 
What, what you do in this room is incongruent with what you do out there. And you need to repent of that. And you need to surrender in a fresh way to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And you need to put your total being in that offering plate afresh right now. And when we sing this song, you're invited to come and get on your face before God. Kneel here at this altar and pour out your heart to God. Repent of your sin and surrender to Him afresh as the Lord of your life. Not just as your Savior, but as the Lord of your life. Get back in that offering plate completely. There are persons here who need to join this church. We invite you to come. Others who need to request baptism, we invite you to come. I'll be here at the front. Pastors, counselors, let's stand. I'm going to say a quick prayer. As soon as I say amen, you start walking. We'll start singing. You start walking. Come and make your decision for Christ and get into that offering plate. Be that living and holy sacrifice. Father, help us obey. Help us respond. Help us come. Help us do what we know we need to do. In Jesus' name.